Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Big E here. This is Law for Virginia Law Enforcement Officers. What do you need to know as a law enforcement officer in Virginia, if you're state, local, if you're doing task force work or patrol work? What do you need to know for statutes, cases, state and federal, uh, to better serve and protect your community? And today we're going to be talking about a brand new case from the Fourth Circuit that came out uh, just on Friday. Uh, It's a case that is, in a lot of ways, really kind of groundbreaking in the Fourth Circuit and really changes a lot of how we understand search incident to arrest. Um, I guarantee the officers who investigated this case were very surprised by the ruling. I was very surprised by the ruling. And the ruling finds its roots in some old cases uh, going back to uh, really in the 1960s. Uh, But it's a controversial issue. And so I I think everybody who's engaged in law enforcement who might be arresting somebody at some point uh, should listen to this case. So we're going to talk about that case today. Uh, Last week, we talked about new cases, excuse me, new statutes from the Virginia General Assembly. We're going to continue to talk about some of those new statutes as we go forward. uh, And also, of course, continue to talk about new cases. But I really do want to take some time and talk about this new case called United States versus Davis uh, from the Fourth Circuit. Thank you, by the way, for those of you who have given us feedback on the podcast. It's really meant for you guys to, to be helpful. I'm really hoping that this does help you guys out. So I'm glad that this was something that was uh, was interesting and useful to you. All right. So what's this brand new case that I'm so worked up about? Um, and it's a case called United States versus Davis. It's from the Eastern District of North Carolina. And like I said, it was just decided on Friday, May 7th by the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. And the facts of it are pretty straightforward. Uh, they, the police try to stop this guy. He eludes the police. They chase after him. He jumps out of his car. He throws something out of his car. Uh, he jumps out of his car. They uh, finally chase him down. Um, he's While they're chasing him, he's carrying a backpack. And then he essentially dives into, um, he, 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 dives, he dives into a swamp or runs into a swamp. And he's still got the backpack on him. Officers show up. They order him out of the swamp. He, this guy, Davis, comes out of the swamp. And when he comes out, he's still carrying the backpack. He lays down on the ground and officers then uh, approach, take him into custody, secure him, and then search the backpack, which I think pretty much 99.9% of officers would do. Uh, And we'll talk about why in a little bit, but the bottom line is, of course, you'd search the backpack and they find uh, cash and plastic bags containing cocaine. They end up charging him with possession within a distribute. He gets convicted, of course, because he obviously had it, and uh, he appeals. He argues, though, that the search of his backpack was unlawful. And the case goes to the fourth, of course, the district court denies that. And the case goes to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. Now, when we start, I want to note that he pulls probably the luckiest panel in the history of panels, right? So the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals has about 16 judges. And three of those judges, Judge Gregory, Judge Wynn, and Judge Thacker, are among the most likely to grant motions to suppress. So, and he's got Judge Gregory writing this opinion. So you can see already that we're going to have, it's going to be, it's going to be an uphill battle here. But the court here essentially says, all right, when Davis, the suspect, is on the ground and he's in handcuffs 
and there are several officers who have surrounded him and arrested him. What's the basis to search the backpack? And the government in this case argued that the basis to search the backpack was search incident to arrest, which I think is pretty much what I think what most people would say, right? We can talk about some other things at the end of this podcast. I think we'll talk about some other potential exceptions, some other reasons why you'd search the backpack. But I think the most obvious answer is search incident to arrest. When the officers arrested him, he was carrying a backpack. They ordered him onto the ground. He goes to the ground. He drops the backpack. They search the backpack, right? This seems pretty obvious. But here, the Fourth Circuit takes this case as an opportunity to decide whether or not the Supreme Court's ruling in a case called Arizona versus Gantt back in 2009 applies in this case. And because the suspect no longer had control over the backpack at the time that he was arrested, does that mean now that the officers could no longer search the backpack? And I get the sense from reading this page, and I think you will too when you read this, they've been looking for an opportunity to apply this rule. And uh, in this case was the, uh, was the sort of the catalyst or the chance for them to do that. Um, there were three officers on the scene. Three officers are arresting Mr. Davis. They take him into, they take him into custody, they put him in handcuffs. And when they search the backpack, Davis is on the ground. So there's three officers there. They've got Davis in custody. It's a residential area. There's no one else around. And while Davis is still on the ground, that's when they search the backpack. And in this case, the court rules that that search was not a lawful search incident to arrest because he had no ability to get access to that backpack. Um, he would have had to, in the view of the court, jumped up from the ground or contorted his body somehow to snatch the backpack to get to the backpack. And he didn't have ready access to that backpack. And because he didn't have ready access to that backpack, because he was secure and not within reaching distance of the backpack when the officers searched it, that search of the backpack was not a lawful search incident to arrest. So like I said, I think this case is going to be a bit of a surprise to people. It certainly was a surprise to me. And it's sort of an odd way to look at it. But what I want to do is go back in time today, go back to 1969, talk about Chimmel, talk about the Gantt case, talk about Rawlings versus Kentucky and so on. And so to see how do we get here where you have at least three judges, a panel of the Fourth Circuit finding that when you arrest a guy who's carrying a backpack, that you couldn't search his backpack incident to arrest. Um, especially since the court had just ruled about a year before in a case called Farabee uh, that when you search, when you arrest somebody, you could search his, ba his his backpack incident to arrest. So what the what you know what's going on with that? Um, and we'll talk about that when we go through here too. Because I don't want you to take away from this that you can't search backpacks when you arrest people. I think that's not the lesson of this case. But uh, I think it, it, this is a good opportunity for us to kind of step back and do a, a, a history lesson about what's really going on here. Okay, so let's do a little history first and see how we got here. Chimmel versus California is a case from 1969 that's sort of the modern search incident to arrest case. And Chimmel's a case where officers go to arrest a guy at his house. They have an arrest warrant for him. And when, they, when the guy shows up, they get to the house first. The guy shows up, they arrest him at the house, and then they search the entire house. And the reason they search the entire house is they say, we're searching it incident to arrest. So this is 1969. And at this point, 
the understanding of when officers could search and how officers could search incident to arrest had been established by a case called Rabinowitz. And Rabinowitz was a case from, uh, from back from a number of years before. And Rabinowitz's rule basically was, if you arrest somebody, you can search the area that's in their possession or the area that's in their control. Well, he possessed the house and the house was his control, sort of his control. He had the control of the house. So the officers reasoned, well, then I can search the whole house because I'm arresting him at his home. But here, the United States Supreme Court really reigns in or dials back the amount of authority officers have to search incident to arrest. And so Chimmel becomes this really important case. They say, look, we understand um, officers can definitely have a legitimate concern that, an, that somebody who they're arresting could grab a weapon. And so officers have a strong interest to remove weapons that, some, that the person they're arresting might use to resist arrest or to effect an escape. In addition to that, it's reasonable for officers to secure arrest on somebody's person, to, to secure evidence that's on somebody's person, and to uh, and therefore also, if that person can grab evidence that's nearby, could grab a weapon that's nearby, the area that's within their, you know, the area into which a person might reach to grab evidence or to grab uh, a weapon could also be searched incident to arrest. So Chimmel says you can search somebody incident to arrest and you can search the area within their immediate control, uh, which is to say the area from which they might gain possession of a weapon or destructible evidence. And that is the modern idea of what the search incident arrest is. So Chimmel says, yeah, you could search, you know, within the grab space, but if there's a desk, there's a bunch of desk drawers. You couldn't go through every desk drawer when you were arresting somebody. Um, but there are, you know, follow-up cases, obviously, where you say a bed sheet. Somebody could reach under a bed sheet and get a weapon. So, yeah, you could reach, you could search that bed sheet, right? So that's the Chimmel case. And that, so everything goes fine. We're okay for a while. Um, we get to this case called New York versus Belton. And Belton is a case uh, from, uh, from 1981. And that is a case where officers are searching a person's vehicle. So the question there here, here is, okay, so what is the permissible scope of a search incident to arrest where you're searching somebody's vehicle? And generally speaking, after Belton, which is a case from 1981, officers concluded, all right, if I'm searching somebody incident to arrest, I can search their entire vehicle incident to arrest, the entire passenger compartment of that vehicle incident to arrest. Not the trunk, but I can at least search the passenger compartment, right? So when Arizona versus Gantt comes out in 2009, Arizona versus Gantt, again, severely dials back searches incident to arrest when it comes to vehicles. The same way, essentially, that Chimmel did uh, with Rabinowitz, right? Where it said, okay, no, no, you don't get to search the whole house. You only get to search the area within that person's immediate control. Gantt does the same thing with cars, right? Uh, in this case, in, in Gantt, Justice Stevens explains, you know, Chimmel says police can search in area incident to arrest only within the space where an arrestee's uh, has immediate control. That is to say, where from which they can gain possession of a weapon or destructible evidence. And so they rule in Gantt that Belton doesn't authorize a vehicle search incident to arrest after the arrestee has been secured and cannot access the interior of the vehicle, right? So if you think about uh, you're arresting somebody here who's driving on suspended. So I arrest somebody for driving on suspended. So I stop somebody, ask them to step out of the car. 
I say, hey man, you know, your your license is suspended, what's the deal? And they don't have a good explanation or whatever. So I say, all right, we'll turn around, you're under arrest. I put him in handcuffs, I break him back to my police car, I put him back in the backseat of my police car. At this point, they can't get access to the passenger compartment of the car anymore. So there's no search incident to arrest of the passenger compartment of that car. And so then the only way you get into the car uh, in Gantt, they say, is uh, that a search incident to arrest of the vehicle is only permissible where it's reasonable to believe that evidence of the offense of arrest might be found in the vehicle, right? So there, if I'm arresting somebody for possession of marijuana, obviously I could say, or a possession of cocaine, I could say, because marijuana is going to be legal. So possession of cocaine, uh, yeah, I have. it's reasonable to believe maybe that evidence of the offense of possession of cocaine might be inside the vehicle, especially distribution, right? Certainly distribution evidence would be in the kind of car. Possession maybe depends on the facts. So that's Gantt, right? And Gantt says, and this is language from Justice Stevens' opinion, if there's no possibility that an arrestee could reach into the area that the law enforcement officers seek to search, both justifications for the search incident to arrest exception are absent and the rule doesn't apply. So Justice Stevens writes that sentence in 2009. And here he's not just talking, well, the argument is he's not just talking about cars, he's talking about generally, right? So the two reasons I have to search somebody into arrest are I'm concerned that person might get a weapon or I'm concerned that that person might get, uh, might grab evidence or destroy evidence. And those are my two justifications. Well, if there's no possibility that the arrestee could reach that area, then I don't have a justification for searching that area incident to arrest. That's what Gantt says. And Gant says, you know, we're not really overruling Belton. They say, you know, in Belton, that officer was permitted to search the areas that he searched because he was one officer and he was arresting four people and those people weren't secured, right? So even if they have handcuffs, right, they're still able to get up and walk around and grab things. So if it's four, if it's one officer and four people, they say, you know, that officer's interests are different than in Gantt, where it was five officers and one person being arrested. Um, so here in this case, or excuse me, there are three people being arrested. Sorry, in Gantt, there were three people being arrested. But again, five to three, the court says, hey, all these people are, are handcuffed. And before they do the search and arrest, they had put them all in three separate police cars. So there's no possibility of them getting inside the car. And therefore, because these three people are not within reaching distance of the car, there's no basis to go inside and search that car compartment incident to arrest. Okay, so that's where we are in 2009 when it comes to search incident to arrest, which brings us to this case, U.S. versus Davis, right? So U.S. versus Davis, right, is this case where this, again, this is a case from Friday, where officers chase this guy he uh, for eluding, and he gets out of his car, he runs away, he throws something out of his car at some point, he runs away, he's carrying this backpack, he runs into a swamp, they order him at gunpoint out of the swamp, he comes out of the swamp, he's still carrying the backpack. They say, get on the ground, he drops the backpack, he gets on the ground, three officers come in and they put him in handcuffs, and then one of the officers picks up this backpack and searches this backpack. And the, again, the argument is, why did you search the backpack? The answer was, well, I was searching an incident to arrest. So here, the Fourth Circuit, or the panel, these three judges, say, well, let's look at back at Justice Stevenson's line from Gantt. Police can search a vehicle incident to arrest 
uh, to a recent occupant's arrest only when the arrestee is unsecured and within reaching distance of the passenger compartment at the time of the search, right? So I put him in handcuffs, but he's not secured. He's not in the backseat of my car. He's standing up and he could still reach the space, then I can search it. If he can't still reach the space, then I can't search it. Well, the court says that's not limited just to vehicles. See, since 2009, the Third Circuit of Court of Appeals, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals have all said, you know, Gantt doesn't just apply to vehicles, it applies to any search incident to arrest. So the Third Circuit decided that in 2010, the Ninth Circuit decided that in 2015, and the Tenth Circuit decided that in 2019, saying basically all searches incident to arrest uh, must be based upon the ability of the suspect at the time of the uh, search to be able to get access to that space. So they say that line that I read you from Gantt, which is from Justice Stevens, right? If there's no possibility that an arrestee could reach into the area that the law enforcement officers seek to search, both justifications for the search incident arrest exception are absent and the rule doesn't apply. You don't get a search incident arrest. The court says that applies to searches of non-vehicular containers as well. So police officers in the view of this court in this ruling can conduct warrantless searches of containers like a backpack incident to a lawful arrest only when the arrestee is unsecured and within reaching distance of the container at the time of the search. So here, right, in this particular case, um, Davis is on the ground. He's face down on the ground. He's in handcuffs. He's got his hands behind his back. And there are three officers and there's only one of him and there's nobody else around. So they can focus on Davis. They say in this in this circumstance, the way he's described, Davis is secured. He can't reach the backpack. And they describe where the backpack is and they sort of say, you know, there's no way that he could have reached to it. So what would it mean for him to be able to get to it? What does it mean for him to not be secured? Well, one of the troubles that the, the three judges have in this case is they've, you know, the Fourth Circuit had just decided this case called Farabee a year before where an officer had searched a guy's backpack incident to arrest. And in Farabee, the, uh, Mr. Farabee was being arrested. He was inside of a house. He was in handcuffs. Um, in there, the case, the court said he was not secured because although he was handcuffed and physically near an officer, he could still walk freely around and could easily have made a break for the backpack. They actually use the phrase, he could still walk freely and could still have made it, made a break for the backpack inside the house. And he had both the wherewithal and the dexterity to tamper with evidence. Um, in fact, in this particular case, he had, in fact, discarded some evidence. He had a marijuana joint that they came out, they, they discovered later that he had discarded. So unlike in the Farabee case, they say, well, here this is different than Farabee because Farabee could get access to his bag because although he was in handcuffs and he wasn't literally within reaching distance of the backpack, he wasn't secured. He could have gotten up and walked around and therefore he could have uh, walked over and reached the backpack. Even though that he was outside and the backpack was still inside, he was still within walking distance essentially, which in their view wasn't the same thing as reaching distance, but it still made that backpack able to be reached. Now, I want to pause here for a second and say, you know, this is really interesting because um, 
at the time that they search this backpack incident to arrest, they're searching it while Davis is on the ground. But query here, if Davis was still standing up, right, what would happen if he was still standing up? Well, that takes us to a case called Shakir. And Shakir is uh, not a case from the Fourth Circuit, but Shakir is a case from the Third Circuit. And the Third Circuit, by the way, is one of these districts that thinks that the search and arrest is limited to uh, containers that somebody can get access to. Well, in Shakir, they arrest the defendant, and he's still standing, and he drops this backpack. So he doesn't go to the ground. He stays standing up. The officers in that case arrest him, put him in handcuffs, and search the backpack, just like in Davis. But in that case, the court says, there was still a sufficient possibility that he could get access to a weapon in the bag because there was two police officers. He was in handcuffs, but he could still, uh, you know, crouch down and grab it. Um, and it was notable in that case, in Shakir, he was wanted for armed robbery. Um, there was a bunch of people around. He wasn't alone. There was like 20 people nearby. Um, there was another person who was being arrested, and that guy was only being uh, guarded by hotel security officers. So again, if there had been a fight or if something had broken out with the other person who was being arrested, um, then he could have gotten to the backpack. He could have gotten there. So here, right, notice the simple fact that Davis is on the ground makes it in the eyes of the court different than Shakir, where, where Davis is standing, Shakir, where Shakir is standing up. Um, and I'm going to just pause for a second and say, I, I don't, you know, if your question is, have these people ever actually been in a fight with, some, have these three judges ever been in a fight with somebody? Have they ever seen somebody get up off the ground or grab things? Or have they ever been in a fight on the ground before? I don't know the answer to that question. Certainly the way they're describing their possibility of somebody getting to evidence, it seems to me that they haven't ever been in a fight with somebody before and they've never seen someone fight on the ground or be on the ground fighting. But, um, you know, on the other hand, the, the government didn't put on evidence about that. They didn't explain uh, you know, they didn't say like, hey, look, I mean, if you've actually been in a fight with somebody before, if you've been on the ground or you realize, uh, you know, but whatever, that's, we're going to put that aside for a second. This is what the court's saying. And, and again, we're going to see at the end here, articulation I think is really important. Um, because here the court says an item that's not within a person's immediate control, uh, you can't, it's not within their control unless they can get access to it. And if they can't get access to it, you don't get search incident to arrest. So here the court looks at these facts and they say Davis was secured. There was three officers, only one of him. There was nobody else around and he was on the ground. He was not within reaching distance of the backpack. And so the officer uh, didn't have the authority to search the backpack. Um, now, right here, right, you might be saying, okay, so help me to understand the rule. In other words, is it is it that he's secured or is it he's in reaching distance? Right, like, or or is it some kind of like holistic totality of circumstances thing here? Right. So, in other words, does it matter that he was on the ground? If he's just standing up, I get the backpack automatically because he's not on the ground. And if there's five officers, or if there's one officer, if it's just me and the other guy, and he's standing up, I get the backpack no matter what. Or if there's five of us, like, what exactly is the rule here? And the court, in a footnote, uh, says, "You know what? It's not our job to come up with rules, uh, basically." And they say, "We're not gonna, we're not gonna answer that question. We're not gonna explain to officers or come up with any kind of formula that anybody can understand uh, about how to figure this out. Um, we're just deciding in this case whether or not it was a proper search incident arrest. 
So even though we're coming up with this really sweeping rule that changes a lot of people's understanding of the rule, um, we're not going to tell you how to apply it. Which is interesting, right? Because, uh, you know, you still have to go out and apply this and you still have to figure out how the heck you're supposed to apply it going forward. In this case, they suppress the evidence. They don't even find that there was any kind of good faith here. They believe it was unlawful and the evidence should have been suppressed, which is really, I think, an interesting uh, way to approach it here. Um, you could get frustrated hearing this ruling, right? Uh, and, and, and they, I think, throw a bone to those who listen to this and say, what the heck am I supposed to do? These rules don't make any sense now. You're, you don't give us a rule. You don't explain how I'm supposed to figure this out, whether somebody is secured or in grab space or whatever, reaching distance. These are these are mushy things that, I you know, that I'm, how am I supposed to actually keep myself from getting shot or evidence from being destroyed or whatever on the street? And they throw the officers a bone here at the end and they say, uh, they write this, they write, the thicket of nuanced exceptions to the warrant requirement may appear at times confusing and unnavigable. Indeed, law enforcement may feel that courts are missing the forest for the trees, focusing on myopically on minor details and ignoring the big picture, which in this case involved a man with a vehicle with tinted windows fleeing a routine traffic stop and then transporting a backpack on foot into a swamp. Um... But here they say, you know, they say, look, uh, we're talking about the exceptions to the warrant requirement. And essentially what they say is, uh, you know, exceptions are presumed to be unreasonable. The rule under the Fourth Amendment is you're supposed to get a search warrant. And so the role of the courts is to figure out, you know, is to only apply those exceptions where they are proper or where they're clearly lawful. And so they find that it's unlawful. All right. So, but for you, that's not helpful, right? What for you, the question is, what the heck are you supposed to do, Right. Well, let me say a couple of things about this. We'll talk about this, and then I want to step back from this case for a second and, and think about this. Okay, to start with, clearly they're not overruling Farabee and Shakir. So people who are standing up, who can walk around or get around, or if you're in a situation where there's a possibility that like, hey, this guy could get free from me, or I may get distracted because I've got other things going on, or there's lots of people around me. I've got, you know, like in Shakir, there's 20 people standing around, or there's another suspect who's also in custody. Um, so we're not really outnumbered or we get in a fight. And again, they're standing up, they're mobile, they're ambulatory, they could get to stuff. If they can get to that space, then a search incident arrest is proper. And so again, you think about when you're walking, you know, you're, you're arresting somebody, uh, you know, and you, they can reach under their bed sheet. So they're standing, you're standing them up, they're in custody, they're in handcuffs, you're getting them up out of bed. Can they reach under that bed sheet? Sure, absolutely. It's not much for them to dive out and grab that bed, grab under the bed sheet. I don't know what's under that bed sheet. I get a search incident to rest under that bed sheet. I think that's pretty clear, right? Uh, I'm searching the incident to rest in that bedroom and there's a closet it's, you know, the door is slightly open. Um, you know, if he and I end up in a fight, he very easily can go into that closet. I don't know what's in that closet. I'm going to open up the closet, make sure there's not a weapon in that closet, right? That's pretty straightforward. If there's a desk drawer that's, you know, across the room and it's on the ground and, you know, there's a, it's a file cabinet desk drawer and you have to latch, you know, pull a latch to open it up. Is that in his immediate control? Probably not. I don't get that into, you know, search instant arrest. I think that's pretty clear here, right? you know, one of the really interesting questions in this case is what if they had, what if when they had gotten Davis up off the ground, that's when they searched the backpack, right? So there's three of them, there's Davis there, they get Davis up off the ground, could they search the backpack at that point? Because now Davis is ambulatory, he can move, he can walk, they, he's already resisted and tried to run away and so on, could they get into a fight with him again? And if they get into a fight with him again, now they're carrying this backpack, right? 
could he get to this backpack? That's a really interesting question. That's not the question in this case because they search it when Davis is on the ground. But again, if they had gotten him off the ground and searched it, I think the facts would be different. And that brings me to the last thing about this case, and, and Farabee is still relevant here. Um, the last thing that I want you to think about, was search incident to arrest the right reason or the only reason why you'd search this backpack? Because remember, when I get Davis up off the ground, his property is sitting right there on the ground. Now here it's in the swamp, in the middle of some residential area and it's some, some you know swampy area. And I'm gonna say uh, to Davis, hey, you know, is this your backpack, right? In other words, I'm not going to take this backpack with me. And I'm going to read him Miranda first, obviously, but uh, to make sure, because this is going to be an incriminating statement, although, frankly, I know it's his backpack anyway, because I've seen him carrying it. But I'm going to, it's his property, right? I'm going to take this backpack to secure his property. Not as a search incident to arrest, but as a, essentially, the, you know, sort of community caretaker thing, right? I'm trying to avoid... Um, some dispute about ownership. I'm trying to avoid stolen or lost property. It's to protect his property. I'm going to take his property. I'm going to check it into evidence. And so when I take it to the evidence unit, what do my directives require? Um, it's likely that your directives require, and this is important. I mean, I think it's important to to note here, what do your directives require if you're taking in property for safekeeping? It might say take it to the jail and let the jail search it, or the jail may ask you to search it, or you might take it to your property section and secure it in your property section. You should follow whatever your directives say to secure somebody's property when you're arresting them. Uh, but here, whatever the directives say, if you follow what your directives say, and that might be, again, take it to the jail, put it in jail property, uh, take it to the jail and search it yourself, take it to your property section, Search it, in the pro search it and put it in the property section. Whatever your directives say, if you follow those directives, uh, then you're doing an inventory search. And an inventory search here, I think, would have been the right argument or another argument. I mean, here, I think it was reasonable to think it was in a search instant arrest because up until this case, everyone would have thought this was a search instant arrest. And I don't necessarily agree with these three judges on this, by the way, either. But, you know, I don't think they were wrong to say search instant arrest, but I think inventory search is just as well. And by the way, right, if you say to him, by the way, is this your backpack? And he says no. Well, in Farabee, what the court says is if you say no, if you're like, hey, man, is this your backpack? And he's like, no. And, and you're probably going to say no because it's full of drugs, right? If you say no, well, he's disclaiming ownership. He's saying that's not mine. And once he says that's not mine, now he's lost all Fourth Amendment interest in it because he's, it's abandoned property, right? And he's, you know, he's thrown it on the ground. He says, it's not mine. It's abandoned and you can search it. So, you know, I think in this case, that would have been another route to go here, right? To search it as an inventory exception, to put it into property and so on. Um, but here we are with this case. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm curious to see if the uh, government here uh, appeals to an en banc, to hear the case en banc. Um, because on Bonk, I'm not sure this case would come out the same way. I'm not sure that a full Fourth Circuit would rule this way. But that's for the future, that's speculation, and that's uh, beyond, you know, we'll have to see what happens. Keep an eye out. But this is an important ruling, um, and so be aware. Again, going forward, if I'm searching somebody, incident to arrest, I'm searching a space, incident to arrest, is it reasonable for this person to get access to it? Is it reasonable that this person 
if they start fighting with me, if they start struggling with me, um, can they run and grab this? Can they can they drop to the ground and grab this? Can they, uh, you know, dive over and grab this? Is how many officers are there? How many people around me are there? Um, are they sufficiently secured? If they're on the ground and I'm on the ground at this point, they're not going anywhere. I'm not getting any grab space, search, and arrest. If I'm walking them somewhere, if I'm putting handcuffs on the wall or standing, yeah, I'm, I might get a pretty good radius uh, around them uh, of their ability to reach and grab things. Um, so, you know, just keep in mind that those kinds of factors are in place. Interesting case, uh, U.S. versus Davis. It's a case from May 7th, 2021, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. So for today, that's all from me. That's all from Big E. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. If you don't like the podcast, don't tell your friends. But that's all for today. Stay safe and don't get captured.